Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to look at the verses that we did last week to help us to stay in context with what we're doing. So there is an assumption, I think, even among us, that those who are doing well are those who are pleasing to the Lord, and those who are struggling are those who are not pleasing to the Lord because our natural assumption is the Lord is going to automatically reward those whom he is pleased with and he is going to punish those whom he is not pleased with. But the reality is oftentimes the Lord takes us through difficult circumstances to shape us and remake us and uh, one of the things that I think comes out of what the Apostle Paul will be talking about here and has been talking about in Second Corinthians is that these false teachers that were coming into Corinth to try to supplant Paul, to try to push him away and say, don't listen to him, listen to us, were saying, look at all the trouble Paul has been through. Well, doesn't that prove that he's not a real apostle? He's not really following? We love success, right? When people are successful, we think, well, they must be doing everything right. But the reality is that's not entirely how God works. Sometimes when you go through difficulty, it is precisely the will of the Lord to take you through that difficulty to draw you closer to him, right? So don't think that just because things may be going quote unquote wrong in your life right now, that that means that you are doing something that is wrong. Now, on the other hand, you can bring bad circumstances on yourself because you've made bad decisions. So it's not saying that that's not the case either. All right, so let's look at this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to start at verse 7. And I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter, although I don't believe we're going to get that far tonight. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's your body, right? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed. Are you perplexed tonight? You're like, I don't know. What am I going to do? I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. It's perplexed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Don't let it make you hopeless. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So those are horrible things that happen to people, right? Persecuted, people come up against you because of what you say uh, in regard to your faith in Jesus. But he says, you're, you're persecuted, but not abandoned. That is the Lord is with you. You're struck down. So sometimes you fail. Okay. So here's my example of that. I could have mentioned this on Sunday, but I didn't. And lest the YouTube artificial intelligence comb through this and give me another strike. My YouTube channel got a strike. That's the YouTube channel that this goes out on. 
because I mentioned something about a certain incident that occurred in January of 2020. Are you aware of that particular incident? I did not come out in favor of that incident. In fact, I indicated that the individuals who were involved in that really pretty much near riot were in the wrong. And yet, because I mentioned that incident, this AI went through, combed it, and said, you are um, fostering, furthering, promoting um, a false narrative. I said, what? Initially, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I didn't even know what I talked about in that particular sermon. But I went back and looked at it, and thankfully, I was literally reading from my notes that morning, and I posted those notes on WordPress. So I objected to the, to the strike. I sent that to YouTube. I sent them a link to the notes, and within an hour, they automatically said, nope, you still have the strike. Well, it is evident that a rational human being didn't look at that. A person didn't look at what I said. I'm not going to relitigate that here tonight. Um, but I'm, I don't know that it will do any good, and I doubt it. But I'm sending them, uh, I found their address. I'm sending them a letter. My hope is that a human being will look at it. Well, what is my point? We were struck down. This is a strike. Now, the first strike that you get is just a warning. But see, this is what I've said all along. When you start saying things that they don't want you to say, in this case, that isn't even the case. In this case, I didn't even say anything that they wouldn't want me to say, but their artificial intelligence, their program, their algorithm, whatever you want to call it, combed through that and said, these words were put together in this sequence, so you're obviously wrong. Well, what's going to happen the next time is they're going to limit our reach and our channel. So each time they give you a strike, it causes increasing problems. Listen, I'm not monetized. We're not making money on this. All right. There might be half a dozen people that see this outside of this room on YouTube tonight, but they're important people. And yet they have struck us down. So I pray about those things. I do what I can do. I don't have a lawyer. I don't have a, you know, a million subscribers or something like that. So I'm not getting anybody's attention. So I have to trust the Lord, right? We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned by the Lord. So I'm just going to trust that the Lord is going to take care of us. Amen? So I don't know what your situation is. I, I'm just, I, I'm not bringing up my situation to make you feel you know, uh, I don't know, sympathy for me or us or anything like that. I'm just trying to say that we each struggle with these issues. How are you dealing with them? Well, I'm trusting a good almighty God who is able even to deal with almighty Google. Right? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. And I tried to help you understand last week that when we allow Christ to come into our lives, we're identified with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. 
That's why we are baptized once we believe. In baptism, biblical baptism, you go under the water. So I baptize people this way. You put them under the water, and I say buried with Christ in baptism. And then I bring them up out of the water, and I say raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. That's intended to help you to realize and help everyone else to see that when we are in Christ, we are also joined with him in his death and burial and resurrection. That's all together. And that means that I have a new nature, right? So whatever you think of when you, you think of yourself and your family and your history and you know what, people are like, well, I was born this way, right? And that may mean this, that, or the other thing. I was, I was born this way. We're born in a fallen state in a fallen world. So, okay, you know, maybe you were born that way, but that doesn't mean that is God's intention for you. God's intention is to make you more like Jesus. When you try to figure out who you are, you can't look at other people. You can't look at yourself in the mirror. You can't close your eyes and, and, you know, look at yourself, however that is pictured for you. We have to look at Jesus. He intends you to be like himself. He's the perfect human being. And so if I'm going to be who I am, I need to be more like Jesus. And the reality is we can all be like Jesus, but he is so vast that every person in this room, every person watching, uh, thousands, millions of people beyond that can be like Jesus, and we can all be distinct from one another just like your fingerprints are distinct. But there's something similar among all of us, that, that Christ spirit in us, right? So <clears throat> everybody in your family, right, has different DNA. There are similarities, but there are differences. And yet there is a similarity that binds you together as being part of the same family. And that is the similarity that binds us together and makes us part of the family of God, right? We are different and unique, and yet we all possess that spirit of Christ. And so there's a similarity in that as well, okay? All right, we carry around on the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may reveal, be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Now, the Apostle Paul will mention in chapter 11 of this book all of the difficulties that he went through um, as an apostle. I mean, there were people that stoned him. There were people that beat him. There were people that wanted him dead. And he said, we were going through all of that. This life may also be so that uh, this, his life, that is Christ's life, may also be revealed in our mortal body. So what happens when we're facing these sorts of challenges is we realize that this down here is not the end game. Okay. So the Romans had control over their population because if you didn't do what they wanted, they'd put you to death. And if you weren't a Roman citizen, they'd crucify you. So it was a 
ridiculously painful death. So people did whatever the Romans said because they didn't have a hope beyond the grave. Christianity brought to people a hope beyond the grave and helped people understand if Jesus was crucified, the worst, the most horrific death, and he was resurrected, and if I'm in Christ and I can be, then it doesn't matter. You can't hurt me. You can't hurt me. No matter what happens, what's the worst thing that could happen to you today or tomorrow or this week? If you have the resurrection life of Jesus living in you, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter, right? So I was mentioning to the the folks in this room, um, we're in a a massive um, renovation, reconstruction phase here in downtown Garland on the square. And so right now, it just looks like a disaster out there outside our, our window. They've just torn everything up. So nobody would want this building right now. But in a year, it's going to look really good out there. And there are people that will want this building. And as the result, they may offer the folks that own this building more money than we could offer them. Well, what are we going to do? That makes us a homeless church, right? We don't know. We trust the Lord. That's what we do. We know that God's got a place for us and he's not going to make us homeless and he's not going to let these people who would come in and take advantage of us. And, uh, you know, this is the reality. People that you think are nice to you, people that you think you can trust, will stab you in the back to get a little extra money for themselves. And that's what we have going on. So I'm not going to be mean and hateful and hard-hearted and wish evil on them, but I'm going to tell you this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says those who seek to destroy the people of God will be destroyed. And we are those people. I don't have to go after them. I don't have to make an argument. I don't have to say, who do you think you are and what do you think you're doing? I just trust the Lord. God's got your family in his hand. God's got this church in his hand. What we've got to choose to do is trust him and love him and follow him and let him defend us. I'm going to let him defend us. Somebody going to come after this church? Somebody going to come after me personally? Well, that's not going to go so well for them because I know who's got me. Do you know who's got you? Trust him and let him defend you. And that lets you love your enemies because you're like, you know what? I'm turning them over to the Lord. I'm not letting those people destroy me and I'm not going to come up against them. I'm not going to try to take revenge on them. I'm going to let the Lord deal with all of that. Okay. Verse 12, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So um, this is something that perhaps I didn't um, get into that much last week when I looked at this, okay? But I think that those who are trying to um, serve the Lord, 
um, as ministers, we may go through different, I won't say worse difficulties, but different difficulties than you do. Christ's ministers are afflicted and challenged as a constant reminder not to put hope in the people or things of this world. This life is passing away, and so all its desires are passing away. Our hope is in the life to come, in heaven. I have to give up on all of these hopes down here, okay? You may have a a home and a family and all of these things. The Lord has not afforded that to me, okay? This is my home. You are my family. That's it. You have a home, you have a family, you have children, you have grandchildren, and so forth. I don't have any of that, okay? I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me. I'm trying to say, I'm going through things that are different than you are going through. Death is at work in us. Our hope is in the life to come, in heaven. When we who teach the word are thoroughly convinced of this truth, and as a result, living by faith as our reality then we will preach with conviction and urgency. And I want you to know that. So you have to take care of your your family and your kids and your spouse and all of these things if you're married. Um, But the, the real hope, the ultimate hope, the unwavering hope is the hope of eternal life. He says, death is at work in us, but life in you. So he's talking about us as in the apostles, but life in you, the members of the Corinthian church. Those who do not have the additional responsibility of teaching the word of God and watching over the souls of others are concerned primarily about their own lives and families. That's what you're concerned about, isn't it? Your own life and your family. (laughs) These people need practical advice and daily peace and joy. It is important for them to know that this is all passing away, but we're not there yet. The advice to them, that is to you, is to make a life on earth, but a life based upon faith in the reality that all of this is temporary. Hope is still primarily focused upon God's promise in, uh, of heaven. So um, I don't want you to leave your family and move into a monastery, okay? But you need to lead your family to understand that there is a hope that is above and beyond what we can see here. Provide for your family, okay? Um, They need food, they need clothing, they need a safe place to live, you need to teach them. But realize that this is not the ultimate hope. This ain't heaven, far from it. There's a better world, there's a better life. The message is similar to what Jeremiah spoke to the people of Judah who were captives in Babylon. They were in a foreign land. It was a temporary captivity, but it wasn't brief. It lasted 70 years before they were permitted to return to the promised land. Now, we're going to get to that in our our survey of the holy history. But the people were literally taken from their land. So imagine China taking over the United States. I'm saying China because it's a very powerful nation, okay, who wants to convert the world uh, to faith in Marxism, right? The Chinese Communist Party. Imagine that the United States just gives up, gives themselves over to China, and China decides to destabilize the citizens of this country 
by taking them to another place, okay? To another geographic location. So you don't know what's going on around you and you become more dependent upon the state. And by the way, that's what dictatorships, um, whether it's communist oligarchies or whether it is fascist states, this is what they want to do. They want you to depend on the state. This is what Rome wanted people to do. Depend on us. Depend on the state. We're going to provide for you. What did you do during the pandemic? Did you trust God or did you trust the government? Well, the government gave me $700 and then they gave me $2,000. Really? Where's that right now? Well, I have children, so they gave me more than that. Okay. Where's that right now? You've spent that and more because when you give free money to people, inflation skyrockets. We have the highest rate of inflation in 40 years. This is the highest rate of inflation since Carter. All that money they gave you for free, it's gone, gone, gone. The government is not going to be able to supply your needs. God, on the other hand, will give you direction, and even in challenging circumstances, will give you health and provision, right? That's what we need to do. Um, so in the situation with Jeremiah, this is the prophet Jeremiah who uh, prophesied at the end of the, uh, the uh, sovereignty of the Judean state, okay, the Babylonians came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people of, of uh, Jerusalem captive and took them to Babylon. Well, Jeremiah said, that's God's will because you people rejected God. And so as the result, he is going to allow this as discipline for you. But there was hope, Okay. Listen to what Jeremiah says. This is uh, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that's how long they would be captive in Babylon. That's how long they would be taken away from their home. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. Okay? Um, so that's the hope that he had. There is something beyond where you are right now. There's a hope. There's a future. Where are you right now? What are you dealing with? Maybe it's nothing bad. Maybe you're just kind of in a funk right now. You're not moving forward right now. Maybe there are potential challenges right now, right? Maybe, you know, you need a home and a hope and a future, well, God offers that. 
So in this intervening period of 70 years, while the people were captive in Babylon, and by the way, that's us right now here. You want to know where Babylon is? It's called the U.S. of A. I know this nation was established as, you know, a Christian nation and all that, but it ain't that now. It's not even close, okay? You're captive in Babylon right now. Babylon is the place of the flesh, the, the, the place that is apart from God's promise. What do you do while you're in Babylon? Do you just give up hope? Do you stress? Do you worry? No. Listen, a little earlier in the very same chapter, Jeremiah 29, um, listen to what Jeremiah tells the people to do. This is Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, hey, homesteader. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons, daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for the welfare. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So, Garland is not a Christian city, okay? But I pray for its welfare. So, you know, all this disaster that's going on out here, it's construction, but it looks more like destruction right now. Um, it's hard for people to park and it's, you know, in order to just get across the intersection, I have to walk across the street here, over, down, around, over, 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 over. But I believe, I think I know, and most of the other businesses around here recognize that this is going to turn out positively, right? So although the United States is not operating right now as a Christian nation, we need to pray for its welfare, you need to vote appropriately in this next election. You really need to think. Stop paying attention to CNN and MSNBC or even Fox. Pay attention. Are these people helping our nation or are they hurting our nation? Okay? Vote appropriately. Inflation is at an all-time high. We could produce enough energy in this country right now to be energy independent. And we were when the previous administration was in power. And I'm not a Trump fan, not even close. But we were producing enough energy in this country in the previous administration, so we were selling oil to other countries. And now the current president goes hat in hand to Saudi Arabia and fist bumps the, the prince there and begs them to produce more oil. Why? Well, climate change. We don't want climate. Okay, I, I'm not a climate change denier or whatever, but the reality is all you're doing is shifting the blame. You're saying, well, we don't want to do this. We want you to do this. Okay? We want Venezuela, who hates us, to sell us oil. 
what are we doing right now? We're not looking out for our best interest, right? We're not even helping these other nations. So now Saudi Arabia, OPEC, it's not just them, but they're the bulk of, of OPEC, um, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. That's OPEC, okay? And Saudi Arabia is the largest petroleum exporting country. They're going to cut their production by 2 million barrels. I don't know if it's per day or per week. But anyway, just count on this. Your price at the pump is going to go back up. The reality is by the time the election happens in November, you and I are probably going to be paying four and a half or five dollars a gallon for gas. That doesn't have to be happening, right? Do you want to look out for our best interest? Well, then maybe we need to start saying, okay, uh, I can't stand this dude Trump. He was really a punk and he really was. But maybe this idea of putting our country first in our estimation and taking care of ourselves is not such a bad idea, right? So that's politics. I realize that's not Bible, but it has to do with this idea of taking care of your own. So in order for you to have the ability to help other people, you need to have the means to do that, right? If you can't pay your bills, how can you give to help anybody else? You can't, right? And I'm not advocating that you play the spiritual lotto, okay, and say, okay, well, I'm just going to give this big bundle of money to my church and hope that that works. You need to tithe however little or however much you're making because God's promised to take care of you if you will put him first, okay? But I think that a lot of times when you listen to these uh, online or TV or radio preachers, they make you believe that if you just gave them more money, then you're gonna suddenly become rich. Can I just say this? You're not. You're gonna make them rich. You need to operate on God's economy. And he says that he will make all grace abound to you so that in all things, having all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. God wants you to be able to give. Now, if you're not a giver, you may still find a way to prosper. There are plenty of wealthy people in the world that are not givers. They're just worldly wise. But if you're operating on God's economy and you're, you're not a giver, you're not going to prosper. If you're a giver, God wants you to have the money to give more. He wants you to have the resources to give more, right? So, you know, uh, Sunday morning, uh, I didn't realize it was this, but it was Pastor Appreciation Sunday, apparently. And so Pastor Craig got a box and I got a box and people gave us different stuff. So you give what you have. Well, I got, you know, a crate of 18 eggs. Well, I know where that came from. I've been eating those eggs since Sunday, right? Uh, You give what you have, not what you don't have, okay? Um, And the Lord is gonna, you know, he's gonna, he's promised that he's gonna bless you. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna take care of you. Um, So we've gotta take care of our people. I, I, I like this example. I use this often. Have you ever flown on an airplane? Okay, 
So you know that if the cabin loses pressure, what happens? Those little masks drop down, right? Because you're up at an altitude where there's not enough oxygen for you to breathe. So the, 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 the masks drop down. So you've got kids, okay? You in this room, you got kids. What does it say to do? Put the mask on your kid first or on yourself first? No, you put it on you first, because if you pass out, you can't help your kid. Are you understanding what's going on right now? You do. It's not being selfish to take care of what you need. Now, sometimes we use that as an excuse to not help other people. But if you don't care, take care of your needs, you won't have anything to take care of anybody else's needs. You've got to take care of yourself. And once you have that, then you move forward. So there's all sorts of things that I would like. I'd like an electric car. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd like a Corvette. Um, I'd really like a house of my own. That would be cool. I, I'd like to sleep in, in my own bed instead of a chair. There's lots, lots of things that I would like. But in the end, I look at all these things and I'm like, you know what? I don't care. If I've got the basics, right? I'm, nobody's robbing me. I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm better than okay. So the Lord takes care of me and then he use me, uses me as a tool or an instrument or change metaphors, a channel to, to bless other people, right? All right, <clears throat> so that was... I'm just never going to get to today. That was still last week. <laughs> I'll get to this first phrase in this one. Since we have the same spirit of faith, this is verse uh, 13, 2 Corinthians 4, 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. That's the quote from Psalm 116. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I believe and so I spoke. What do you say when you're going through hard times? Oh, we talk to ourselves all the time, by the way. Okay? It's called self-talk. Now, this isn't like, you know, just uh, positive thinking. You talk to yourself all the time. That talking to yourself, another phrase for it is subvocalization. Literally, if we were to put a sensor on your vocal cords, you are talking to yourself all the time. What are you saying to yourself? I believe and so I spoke. You're saying what you believe. So, are you positively affirming what God has said in his word? Or are you affirming the worrying words that the world inspires and encourages, right? So as I said, the apostle Paul was quoting from Psalm 116 when he said, I believe and so I spoke. And the intent is to prove that he speaks on the basis of faith in a good and loving God who is attentive to his cry and will bring him through every difficulty and take him on to victory. 
Listen, guys, I'm just going to tell you, I've tried everything. I've tried all sorts of things. But the only thing that has continued to sustain me through all the challenges and difficulties um, that we faced in the last several years that I faced in my life over um, the last 20, 30 years is the constant confidence that God is good. God is good. God loves me. You need to say that to yourself. You need to believe that. God is good. God loves me. He has not abandoned me. He has not forsaken me. He is not rejecting me, even if I've made mistakes. God is good. God loves me. God is a good dad. And the challenges that I'm, that I'm going through are not evidence that God doesn't love me. So, you know, I, I don't bring this up as often as I used to, um, <clears throat> but I have a serious hearing impediment that I have been enduring since December 2nd of 2002. So that is coming up on 20 years now. I can't hear in my right ear except for maybe a, just a tiny little bit. But that's one thing. If it was just quiet, that would be one thing. I'm going to talk this loud. So this is how loud. My ear is ringing right now as loud as I'm talking to you. And that is all the time. It never stops. So is God tormenting me? Does God hate me? Is God punishing me? From my reading of scripture and my understanding of God? No. Is God teaching me? Is God disciplining me? From my understanding of scripture? Yes. What are you going through? You have challenges, physical health challenges, relational challenges, financial challenges. Is it because God is punishing you? No, God poured out all his wrath on Jesus. The punishment is over. Discipline is not the same as punishment. You do realize that, right? Sometimes we use those as synonyms, but they're really not. Punishment is you're getting what you deserve, okay? You did wrong, now you're going to get what you deserve. Discipline is correction. It is training. So in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we endure hardship as discipline. This is hardship. That is discipline. Discipline is God's way of making me what he wants me to be, right? So listen to this quote from, this is Psalm 116.1, and I believed and so I spoke is from Psalm 116. Paul is quoting it from Psalm 116. Here's Psalm 116.1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Are you praying to the Lord? Are you pleading to him for mercy? So those of us who come to God must not only believe that he exists, 
but he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. That's Hebrews 11.6. In Psalm 116.2, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. I believe God hears me. And I'm going to continue to call on him as long as I live. Be persistent with God. He's not putting off bringing his justice to you forever. Jesus told the the parable, it's been called the parable of the importunate widow. This is in Luke 18. Importunate means that uh, she was persistent, Okay. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. So, the, so here's the story. I, I'm just the the quote that I'm going to relate here is oh, is very brief, but the story is this widow continued to come to an unrighteous judge and beg for justice, and the unrighteous judge was just like, "Leave me alone, lady. Get away from me, lady. I don't want to hear from you." But she wore him out, and so eventually he gave her justice. That's Jesus' parable. Here's the application. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Keep pushing. Pray until something happens. Well, God, I don't know if you're listening, so I'm just going to stop talking. No, man. Are you worried? Worriers make good prayer warriors. Keep wearing God out. Worrying doesn't help anything, but prayer does. You can't stop your mind from spinning and churning this up. But what you can do is you can channel it. Instead of spinning back around on yourself. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. What are you going to do? Lord, what are you going to do? God is able to handle that, okay? Pound on his chest. Pound on his door. Keep praying. Ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock until you see something happen. And when you see something happen, don't just think, oh, well, that's just the way it happened. No, recognize that God brought it about and give him thanks. Offer him the thanksgiving that he is due. Be persistent. The issue is not with God's goodness, but with human faith in that goodness. Jesus said, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you continue to believe? Faith endures. Faith is persistent. Faith doesn't give up. So this is why when people give up on their relationship with God, I just say, did you really have a relationship to begin with? Or was it just an assumption? Was God just a concept and your idea didn't work out, so you turned to another concept. When you know God, he's a person, okay? So are there people in your life that you struggle with? You continue to struggle with them, right? If you love them, we continue to struggle with God. 
So the issue is not with God's goodness, but with human faith in that goodness. God is not evil. He's not cruel. He's not harsh or capricious. God is not neglectful, apathetic, or absent. The world is fallen, but God will still respond to any who seek him and call out to him. God is all-powerful. He is just. God is good. I have a lot of scriptures that will validate all of those statements. Um, If you want them, you know, put a comment uh, online or come to me afterwards. I'll give you all these scriptures, okay? And, of course, God is love. Our faith is in this good, just, and loving God. God must remain firm even in the face, face of confounding variables. Okay. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you. Thank you guys for joining us.